Volume 2, Issue 71, StarCraft II, Wings of Liberty. From 1998 onwards, Korea would never be the same, for it was that year that Blizzard decided to put aside their swords and wands for a brief moment and strap themselves into some power armour and brought out the C-14 rifles. From the foundations laid down by Warcraft, StarCraft was born and met with much acclaim but fans would be left waiting for over 10 years for this celebrated game's sequel. On top of that, and beating Peter Jackson to the punch, Blizzard had decided to turn this sequel into three games instead of one. With part two of the StarCraft II trilogy looming on the horizon, it's time to look back at part one, Wings of Liberty. Joining me, Joshua Garrity, in this issue is Darren Gargett... Hell, it's about time. Special guest this week and StarCraft extraordinaire, Scott Udenson. Uh, good evening. As always with the Kane and Rinse show, we start with our histories of the games. And also, I just want to see if you guys have played the original, starting with our guest Scott. I never did. I ne- didn't play the original. I got into two because Bra- Giant Bombs Brad Shoemaker was hyping it up so much. Okay, Darren. 
Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm older than you two. I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to admit it. And I was there. I don't know if I was there day one, but I was definitely there playing it with my my regular cohorts in you know around the Counter Strike Quake Two era, and alongside Age of Empires Two, which is quite timely resurfaced for a HD like remake by um by the guys who made Counter Strike in a weird weird situation. I was definitely playing Age of Empires, StarCraft, and Counter Strike all in the same like in the same bubble. It was really weird, and it was when I first sort of found PC gaming. And StarCraft 2, I'm still not, I mean StarCraft, sorry, I'm not good at it then, I'm not good at it now. But yeah, I was there, I've still got my big boxes, remember those big boxes that took up half the shelves in HMV? Uh, Yeah, I've still got mine, and they are collecting dust like anything else, so yeah. Um, I had always heard about uh, StarCraft, it's a game I've heard talked about a lot over the years, but it's never a game I had tried until... Starcraft 2 came out in 2010. Um, after playing Starcraft 2, I did try and go back to the original game, but the thing I was interested in was the single player campaign, and the campaign in the original is good, but it does it lacks the presentation quality that this game has, and we're going to talk about that later on. And so that kind of put me off. So yeah, this game was my first experience of Starcraft. And that's entirely understandable considering the sheer gap between the first, the expansion, and the second one. Um, much like Half-Life 2 and Half-Life, like you, you wouldn't, you can't, you can't get annoyed at people for not playing the first one just because it's been a, a whole childhood. Do you know what I mean? It's crazy. Yeah, um, you know, there's that phrase Valve time, but Blizzard should really have their own phrase for that because... It's a huge amount of time between the original and uh, this game. Uh, And it's been delayed several times as well. It was announced back in 2007, and then it was delayed like a couple of times. So, yeah, it's a huge gap. Okay, we're going to move swiftly into the single-player campaign. Um, I'm just... Would somebody, and I'm looking at Darren... Uh, give us a quick recap of what the story is so far and what all the different races are. Oh man, why do you have to pick on me for the story? Um, so, yep. So if, we go, if we're taking from a very brief nutshell that's been hollowed out and left uh, shattered on the floor, um, StarCraft 1 sort of went like this. Jim Raynor and Sarah kerrigan i think they're the names they were they were like buddies the terran buddies and by the end of brood no by the end of starcraft one i do believe she was um captured by the zerg uh, brood war there brood war then saw her as the queen of blades yeah um basically she was converted into like a soldier for the zerg by the overmind but then the overmind was killed at the end of starcraft and during brood war is basically kerrigan taking control of the zerg army and becoming the new leader and then starcraft 2 sort of sees uh, jim rayner in, in seemingly in the middle of nowhere like you know in, in a future desert in in some bar and and, you know, he bumps into old friends and you soon realise that the Queen of Blades is back in action. And, you know, obviously Jim Rayner has, I don't know if it's like true love and affection, but there's definitely a connection there that he, he feels something for her. And throughout the story, you'll see that even Jim Rayner himself gets offers from other ladies and he'll just say, nah. Because you, 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 in the back of your mind, you're just like, 
I think you know I think he's got something going on. Not 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 literally, but in his mind, maybe he wants some you know something more than friendship. It's de- it, and it's very clear from StarCraft One and uh, scenes in this game that those two were in love with each other. Um, but also, he kind of feels responsible for what happened to Kerrigan. Um, there's this great uh, cutscene in StarCraft Two, which is basically like a flashback to the events of One, where they show uh, Kerrigan being left behind on the planet, and Men- uh, Mensk, who is like the big bad on the human side of things, is uh, responsible for abandoning her on the planet and leaving her to her fate. Um, so and you know we might as well just talk about the characters and the story here. I don't want to go plot point by plot point because we'll be here all day if we do that. But just briefly, I, I'm really impressed by the narrative of this game and the characters, especially Jim Rayner. I I felt really attached to the guy, and he kind of gave off like a Han Solo-y Malcolm Reynolds vibe. Um, what do you guys think? Uh, he's well, kind of starts off as your kind of wayward cowboy style person but there's the point in the game where I, well, first time through, I can't really remember it, but going through it a second time, just a couple of days ago, there was the point where he just kind of seemed like this too goody two shoes, too good for whatever, but then there's a f- scene between him and Tychus Finley where fin- Tychus is getting drunk and belligerent with the rest of the crew and Rainer just t- takes him out while uh, Tychus is still in his full battle armour and it's just like well, yeah, there's something there's a lot more to you than meets the eye, despite you being this kind of white knight cowboy that might have gone slightly wayward. He's not like so many um, sci-fi uh, stories and video games have the main character be this very, you know, it's the military hero, like the Master Chief and the Gears of War characters. I just thought it was kind of refreshing to have a character who's a bit more laid back, mm. a bit more suave, the way Jim Rayner was. Um, it kind of feels like the everyman, if you know what I mean. Like, it, he might be the leader of, he might have the respect of all these, you know, these Terran Marines and, you know, his, his sort of peers around him. But when you look at Jim Rayner, he, he just seems like he, he just doesn't, not, does he care anymore? Or is he just the everyman where he's, he's relatable to every single man on his team? He, he gives off that vibe like, 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 like a good manager would, you know, like a good manager would make you feel part of the team as opposed to some evil overlord. If, if Jim Rayner was a dick, like a massive dick, he, he, you wouldn't obviously like him as much and you wouldn't empathise with him as much as you do. That he's, he's portrayed as a very, like I say, an everyman and that's why you care about his personal story with the, with, well, with the Queen of Blades. It's very well done. Um. Also, Scott briefly mentioned Finley, who is a really funny character. Um, Just to set him up for those listening at home, actually, during the beginning of the um, during the beginning of the game, the opening cutscene is watching him get into uh, some power armor, and it's revealed as the story goes on that that power armor is essentially a prison for him because he's made a deal to get out of prison with Mengsk. Um And I don't feel like I need to go into why he made that deal. I think we can leave some spoilers out of this podcast. But um, yeah, essentially, Mengsk has a gun to his head and he's saying, if you do not complete certain tasks, um, I will kill you. Um, did, what did you guys think of Finley? Um, 
Was he present in the first game? I, I'm not very clear on... No, he wasn't. He's a new addition for this one. Because he's, he's kind of portrayed as, like, as if Raynor knows him from the past. It's like, he, you know, mm. he bowls into the bar and... I think it's in... He was in prison during the Brood War and all that because he doesn't know what Kerrigan is to Raynor and throughout the story. So I think they used to... There's a book out there somewhere called Heaven's Devils which is then used to ride around on their vulture bikes or whatever. Mm. Yeah, and, and you know the cutscenes are very well done for an RTS game, and I say that because RTS games traditionally have, uh, you know, not even a story that I don't usually care for, and uh, in presentation I don't normally care for. I, I play RTS games with a very relaxing, <laughs> um, cathartic gameplay. Like you know, I've got a big, bulky marine force, and I'm just going to, or an Age of Empires. I've got loads of wood, and I'm going to build some catapults. I find that kind of game really relaxing, despite its real-time nature. But the presentation in StarCraft 2's cutscenes is just phenomenal. Um, I was not expecting it at all. And you kind of think, well, the, the, the E3 reveal, I think it was, or the BlizzCon reveal where it was the, you know, it's Tychus being built in his power armor. You knew that was FMV. That's Blizzard doing what they do really well. They, they oh, do yeah, FMV. The cutscene department's amazing. Mm. Yeah. But then you see the actual in-engine graphics in the bar when he's drinking his whiskey and the little fly lands on the glass rim. And you're mm. like, fucking hell, like, this is an RTS game. And it looks stunning, both you know in the traditional isometric view and in cutscene. It's it's amazingly done. And yeah, when Tycus bowls it through and reveals his visor, and the the cigar pops out, you kind of get the vibe that they're sort of they know of each other, and they're sort yeah. of like there's a bit of history going on there, but you never really know what's up. Yeah, he's a very he's a very interesting character, and the sort of their hillbilly style accents mm. just really adds to it all, you know. Yeah, no, I was going to bring this up, but there is a lot of space cowboy influence in this game. And I know uh, the original StarCraft had a bit of that as well, and it came out well before Firefly mm-hmm. did. But there there are some scenes where the music and the dialogue <laughs> just scream Firefly. I don't think the story is as well written as that TV show, but it's still it's going for that kind of tone all the way through. Yeah, and I think um, the the game gets a lot of a love and affection from people who might not even play it, but they they'll see and they'll hear the music and just think, oh my god, like that really is like like Firefly, and there's a lot of crossover there. And I think it's purposely done because there must be a lot of Firefly fans on the on the on the you know the Blizzard. Team. There's just general sci-fi fans because there's a yeah, lot of yeah. like lines of units or references to other medium like just the, the first one that comes to mind is the medevac goes in the bite five by five which what? everyone thinks of alien yeah the, i mean the whole starcraft universe is yeah. kind of a, a hodgepodge of different sci-fi properties i mean uh, the most obvious one is the warhammer 40k mm-hmm. uh but i'd i'd also argue you know aliens and predators as well the predator uh, the protoss are essentially predators i mean a warrior-like culture with advanced technology with a you know a sense of honor and stuff like that they scream the predators and and yeah and the zerga clearly the xenomorphs um i'm just really surprised this much effort went into the storytelling in this game and the presentation overall um i mean i've been playing uh, command and conquer red alert and the the cutscenes and stuff like that are just stupid. The story is literally there to provide context 
for the real-time strategy gameplay. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, so much more effort's been put in. Um, and just as a framing device, it's so effective at drawing you through the campaign. Um, and, yeah, as Darren said, we're talking about an RTS. So this is not a genre famed for storytelling. And I don't think the writing in here is up there with Mass Effect. Uh, it's nah. it, it's not as deep, and the characters aren't as complex. But, you know, I'll appreciate some good writing where I can get it. Mm. And I also, I really like the um, the news station as well. In yeah. The, uh, <laughs> just, uh, I'm trying to think Ronnie of some Vermillion. examples. Ronnie Vermillion is basically Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, and Kate Lockwell is... Um thing or his like on on location reporter hmm. she'll like say something against the dominion he'll cut away and just now yeah. go to the commercial and um, and now we have a story coming up and commercial 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 go <laughs> <laughs> yeah because rain is portrayed as some sort of criminal outlaw and, yeah you know he should be taken down because menx knows that you know menx the evil overlord knows that yeah. rain can actually do some damage to him so mm. he's obviously controlling the news network, and whenever you complete a mission, it will you know you have your, you have like a point and click adventure style gameplay where you can click on various things in the bar, in the cantina, in the in the you know the labs, and mm. you get various contexts of the story. Again, but you don't see this kind of stuff in traditional RTS games. Um, and speaking of traditional RTS games, this is the most traditional RTS game. You know, it's proper old school, fifty units on one button, make them run, and you know this point and click sort of storytelling method in in between missions is just genius like they're, they're little tiny mini cutscenes that last about 10 seconds but you get so much out of them and like you say the news network stuff is just yeah, it's just genius like you know you don't have to watch them but if you know you, you highlight yeah, your mouse you over do. the tv screen yeah i'll have a little watch see what's on the news and then you see that slowly but surely she's trying to you know actually say oh hang on rain is quite good and he gets cut off I, I think that's why I ultimately kind of respect uh, StarCraft's narrative way more than something like Gears of War, because StarCraft's actually willing to take the mick out of the ridiculousness of its own universe mm. sometimes. Well, there's, a, like it, there's a Marine with an iPod dancing. <laughs> yeah, I mean? that's yeah, the yeah. eye pistol, and he's just dancing. It's one of their adverts. If you do the Protoss missions, you it's get them. Stupid. It's just, why? But yeah, <laughs> it makes but, sense. But, but that's great because when it does try to be more serious, it's more effective because yeah. it's not it's not being po-faced all the way through. So when it is serious, you can take it seriously. Unlike Gears of War, when that moment in Gears of War 2 happens, you're just kind of thinking, oh, that's kind of odd uh, that you decided to get really dark there in this c- completely ridiculous game. Um yeah, as you mentioned the kind of point-and-click stuff, I think we can move on to the structure of the game. Um, we can go back to the story yeah. as we go through here. We'll go through, because everyone's um, in different kind of areas of the ship, so we'll remember. Yeah. Um, I was struck by how much the structure of the single com- uh, campaign reminded me of Mass Effect. Uh, obviously, the actual gameplay when you're on mission is completely different. Mm. But just the framework of it, um, going back to your ship, talking with all your buddies, picking the mission that you want to go on, leveling up your you know, your units on the ship mm. and all that kind of stuff. It really struck me as like they were applying an RPG structure to an RTS. Yeah, and I think that's, that's Blizzard's sort of history 
bleeding through that they've they've learnt so much from their previous games, from you know Warcraft to to the World of Warcraft to Starcraft, and I, I'd imagine at some point they learnt a lot from Starcraft Ghost, despite it never actually making its way out onto store shelves. You know, I imagine yeah. that they saw that game and gone, hold on, you know, oh, there's a character got carried over. Well, yeah, yeah, Nova, yeah. You know, I'd, I'd imagine at one point Nova went back to her sort of ship and did various similar things, and I'm, I'm just, you know, purely speculating there, but I'd imagine there's some sort of crossover, because that's the thing Blizzard do with their stuff, they, they learn from, and much like Valve, they learn, every time they make a product, they'll put it out there and go, right, that sticks, that sticks, we'll take it, and we'll put it into our next product, and that's why ultimately these games just become just huge behemoths of quality, in my opinion. I really liked that they gave you that option to find out more about the fiction, the same way Mass Effect does, through conversations with the uh, the crew. Yeah. Um, and the characters aren't as good as the characters in Mass Effect. I mean, t- the, main, the, like, the main characters are interesting, like Tychus. Mm. Um, Matt Horner and yes. Ariel and stuff like that. And and Kerrigan, yeah. uh, although you don't talk to her on no. the ship, Kerrigan's a good character. But other characters like... Who's the Rastafarian guy? Uh, Tosh. Tosh is ridiculous. Oh, yeah, he's a bit ra- ridiculous because he seems to always know everything that's going on and seems yeah. to be a bit psychic. <laughs> he, it, the, the, he constantly insists that he's, he just has a feeling, man. I know because <laughs> I just I can detect it. There is a cutscene um, where his voodoo turns out to be quite real. Um, there's the choice if you choose between him and Nova. If you choose Nova and betray him, yeah, uh, it'll go to a cutscene at the end of that where he's got this voodoo doll and he stabs it, expecting it to affect Rainer, and then it cuts to Tychus and Tychus just goes, "Ow!" And that's a prime example of Blizzard sort of poking fun at itself, you know, like they didn't have to have a little comedy moment there of you know Tychus feeling the effect of the voodoo doll, but it, it just sort of works, and yeah, it's, it's a it's a very clever way of telling a story in an RTS. Well, one of the really interesting things is there are certain missions where, as Scott just brought up then, where you have to pick a side. Um, the the one you brought up is when you have to pick between uh, Nova and I forgot his name again. Tosh. Uh, Tosh, yeah. And, um, it's Ghosts and Spectres. Yeah, the, the framing for that mission is that Tosh wants you to get um, his Spectres out of prison. But Nova is saying that the Spectres are unstable and you should side with her to try and stop uh, Spectres from spreading across the universe. And and there are all sorts of situations like that. There's another situation where a uh, female doctor is telling you not to destroy this colony, uh, colony of humans because they've been infested by the Zerg virus. But the Protoss are saying there's no hope for them, so you have to exterminate them all. And you're put in this situation where you have to make a choice between these two options, and they're not, you know, clear-cut. Um, I, and I really appreciated that. Hmm. And that one has maybe the most diverse outcome because one of them, Hansen, Ariel Hansen, the doctor lady's fine and she goes off to make another colony. The other one, she turns herself into a Zerg trying to find a cure. It's like, damn. Yeah. I didn't expect that to happen when you choose the Protoss side. Uh, the one downside I would say is that no matter what option you pick, the character involved tends to just leave your ship afterwards. Yeah. 
So the, the, the one you mentioned, Ariel Hansen, um, either it's a happy ending and she leaves the ship. Or she turns just, into a zerg. Or, or she down. turns into a monster and you have to kill her. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not, it's definitely not going for the narrative divergence type stuff that Mass Effect's going for. This is just kind of a... No, there's enough of a divergence in there to make you feel like you achieved something or changed something that could have gone yeah. a lot worse. And I'm, wond- I'm wondering if those sort of decisions, probably not, but if they, w- w- how would they carry over in any meaning of... I, I don't think so, because if you pick Tosh, I can't remember what happens to him, because I did that the first time I picked Tosh over Nova, but I know if you pick Nova over Tosh, she stabs him. Yeah. yeah. I think Tosh I, I think Tosh just buggers off at that point. It, it's like Even just like a little throwaway line, like, you know, that you bump into that character again, and you're like, mm. oh, you know, you did that. It, something cool, just to... Because it's been, like... Two years nearly since we since yeah. the Wings of Liberty. It would have been cool just to remind you, even though I've played it again recently, just to remind mm. you what you did as um, you know, your decisions in the in the first in the first part of the trilogy. It would be interesting, but I don't think yeah. they've saved enough of them to carry over. Because uh, and especially and honest, if you play yeah. it again, it just overwrites that. And honestly, it's I don't think it's the type of game that Blizzard are going for with StarCraft. Nah. I mean, everything major in this game is linear like there's mm-hmm. no choice whatsoever um you are going to beat the zerg yeah you are going to do exactly what the plot tells you to do hmm. in the end I, I think that's fair enough for an rts you yeah know? yeah yeah i didn't expect any choice going in and got some hmm. now one one of the other reasons why i really like the single player campaign for starcraft 2 wings of liberty is that they're really creative with some of the missions in this game and i wanted to talk to you guys about some particular favorites of yours starting with scott um well my utmost favorite might be the last mission because it's mostly in tune with my playstyle of starcraft oh, no in fact the last protoss mission all right. Oh, yeah, I'm a big fan of the Protoss missions. Being a Protoss player in the multiplayer. Just to recap, uh, just so the audience listening at home knows what you're talking about, um, in the campaign there are a couple of side missions for the Protoss. Our Saint yeah. campaign that you get the Ehan crystal from Zeratul, who's a Dark Templar friend of Jim Rayner's. Yeah, who just and... mysteriously turns up and says, "Here's this crystal, which apparently lets you relive memories of people." So you get to play through some Protoss stuff. And that, that's a genius touch because the, the Protoss game isn't coming out for another two years, I guess. At so least. for you to experience the Protoss in some form other than the multiplayer is just, it's, it's great. And I'm wondering what they're going to do for the next, uh, you know, for Heart of the Swarm. Like, do we I imagine play... it'll be a little Terran, Terran one. Or maybe, maybe a bit of both. I don't or know, like something yeah. like that. It would be nice to see something like that happen again because not only did it make you feel like the game was complete as a single player thing, it was like, you know, the first Starcraft was you've got all three races in one package and, yeah. and now they're splitting it and people are like, oh, Activision Blizzard, oh, that's the money-grabbing wankers. <laughs> but now it's the, you get these little mini snippets and it's, it just makes the thing feel complete and I'm hoping yeah. that you know you sort of see that again in Heart of the Swarm. It was a great way of hinting at plot points that are going to progress later on because they, in the Protoss missions, they hint at a threat much larger than mm-hmm. Kerrigan or anyone like that. Um, and and it's a great way of foreshadowing the events of what's probably going to happen yeah. in the Protoss campaign. And just like story terms, it helped Rainer change his mind from just kind of stopping Kerrigan to trying to save her. 
Yeah. Because it starts off that she, he was just kind of feels responsible for her killing 8 billion people and st- stuff like that. And then he kind of finds out that she is the one, the chosen one, as it were, to save, to or to be able to free the Zerg and stop them from killing or destroying everything. Yeah. So, Scott, yeah. sorry, with your favourite mission, how did you... How did you go about like doing it really well? Because ultimately, that that mission ends in complete failure because that's the way the story goes. But like, there's an achievement to basically be the best. Yeah. Well, you try and kill two thousand five hundred. I think is the major achievement. And I just built carriers, a lot, yeah. of ca- a lot of carriers. <laughs> I built so many carriers that the computer couldn't handle it, and I had to look at another region of the map <laughs> and just control it by the mini map. My God, it is, it is a, it is a well, much like the Zerg are. It's a very swarmy type, uh, uh, you know, battle. They're literally coming from every angle, and it's set up. They've got three attack paths, and you've kind of got your one base. And for the beginning, you've got to defend this archive, which is all Protoss information, and they come from three sides, just constantly swarming in, pretty much. So you've just kind of got to hold and hold until. There's like but, until that thing goes down. I just held that like middle position with lots of colossi and. Big, yeah. big AOE kind of things or high damage unit and then just when that had done I built cannons like a strip of cannons like three layers deep just across the top of the bridges or top of the ramps up of the next section so that I could pull back into a smaller area to defend that that mission's a great example of narrative being conveyed through gameplay rather than a cutscene because mm. um, just so uh, everyone listening at home knows what we're talking about that mission is essentially a flash forward a vision of the future mm-hmm. that's showing you the complete and utter destru- uh, destruction yeah it's the future without Kerrigan or something yeah. like that a future without Kerrigan, because uh, apparently, even though Kerrigan's like the big bad at the moment, she's meant to be the only hope for humanity in the future, and th- and this is portraying a future if they kill Kerrigan, um, and the Protoss are being wiped out by this new threat, and it's great because you're seeing the last of the civilization, uh, the Protoss uh, civilization yeah. being destroyed in gameplay. You were controlling the last of the civilized civilized worlds or civilized. You feel the hopelessness of it, yeah. like because you like. It's one thing being shown like these giant creatures destroying everything in a cutscene. It's another thing to actually have to fight these creatures and for your attacks to do absolutely nothing and just the inevitability of all your units and all your structures being destroyed. It... The, the bit that sticks out for me is because like, usually when you have a game as a Terran, a, a level, a mission, it's always sort of like, you know, Jim Rayner must survive. Not always, but sometimes. Like, oh, Jim Rayner must survive, you know, if, if he, if he uh, dies, he's the mission in it. Fails. There's very few hero missions, actually. I thought there was more, but playing through it again, there's less than I thought there was. The, 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 that's going to be a change in Heart of the Swarm, because I've said Kerrigan's going to be like a major a hero character all the way through. Sorry, Darren. No, yeah, and, but when you see, like, Zeratul and the other dudes that I can't really remember the names of, when yeah. they actually start dying and the actual important text pops up, you know, so-and-so's gone down, you're like... And they all go out with kind of a last sentence or last words, and you're like... It's, it's really quite affecting, and again, it's like Blizzard storytelling done, you know, nigh on perfectly within gameplay. It's, it's really well done. Um, Darren, one mission or a couple of missions that you really liked? It's really weird, right, because I don't normally play RTS games, so I haven't for years, and then they sort of went down a weird rabbit hole of having only like three or four units sort of company heroes dawn of war style 
wasn't really feeling it. So when StarCraft 2 came back as a traditional RTS where you build loads and loads of stuff, I was like, oh, am I going to like this now? Like, have, have my taste changed? Turns out it didn't, and I really enjoyed the, you know, the campaign. My favourite mission was probably the one where you're controlling a giant electronic drill, <laughs> and you're just you're yeah, drilling yeah. the laser into a, a, a building, and the, the energy's going down over time, and during that time you're being attacked by by the Protoss, I do believe. Yeah, it's Alderine. It's just, it's very satisfying because you've got to take control of this cannon at one point, this giant laser cannon. But in the, you know, in the meantime, you're building a base down at the bottom left-hand corner. And that's what I enjoy most about RTSs on my own single player. It's all about me building up a big army. And I felt like the, it had it had both the best of both worlds. It had me controlling a giant laser, which is different enough from the actual gameplay, to, you know, to building a base and maintaining all my siege tanks and marines and stuff. You know, it's... I think that one for me is quite concise as well. It doesn't go on for too long, yeah. and th- th- there's decent collectibles in the corners of the maps. Like you know, if you if you want to sacrifice your drilling time to blow away these buildings, you can mm. get extra research in the yeah. you know, in the ship. And then get like your Protoss upgrades or Zerg mm. upgrades if you find whatever it is, which is a nice little feature. Is you get a little bit of yeah. Zerg and you can upgrade your like one of the best upgrades is the Tech Reactor, which allows you to build two of any unit from a, at a time from a any building which is i i i love that as like a meta game feature mm. <laughs> um because there are upgrades you can do you know in in gameplay while you're on mission building structures and yeah. so forth but in the ship if you collect like proto pieces of protoss artifacts or uh zerg samples you can basically research the enemy and upgrade equipment that's specific to those enemies mm. so like as you said there was the uh, what was it called the reactor tech reactor uh, which is a tech, tech lab and yeah tech lab and reactor combined which, which a tech lab normally makes you allows you to build the higher tech units yeah. While the reactor lets you build two low tech units at a time, so it's just them fused together, and it just allows you to do two of anything, which is awesome. Which is really good because instead of <laughs> instead of just because um, we the tech reactor allows you to build stuff like marauders, and it takes a long time to build loads of them. So having that combined with the other one means you can build a huge force of them. Uh, but also, like one of my other fa- uh, favorite ones was the hive mind emulator oh, that you yeah. can upgrade which mimics the hive mind of the zerg and you can convert zerg on the enemy team to your side uh, and it can be permanent so if a particularly powerful zerg unit passes by this thing then <laughs> it's really entertaining thank you brutalisk mm. um, <laughs> so, yeah, going back to the the, the, the power-ups and the research and stuff like back mm-hmm. on your ship Obviously, you can get credits by completing certain goals within missions. And mm-hmm. like we said, you can get research from the Zerg and Protoss. There's one thing I've got that's really bugged me, and I never really sussed out until playing it recently. You go to the, um, the is it the laboratories where, you know... Yeah, the laboratories where you do kind of Protoss Zerg and the armories mm. where you do kind of regular upgrade style things. Yeah, so swan. in the labs where you research, you click on the console, it takes you to the research screen. On the left, you've got a blue column which is Protoss. Yeah. And on the right, you've got an orange column, which is Zerg. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, obviously, thinks that orange is Protoss because their their natural colours are yellowy-orange. Mm. And I've all, I've always gone to the right-hand side going, oh, yeah, Protoss upgrades. Yeah, uh, take that one. what's in them because it's crystally and kind of gunky where the but, difference is not really colours. I know. I know what I you th- mean. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's just a bit un- unintuitive, like the fact that you, like the bluey, purpley colours are more Zerg and the orangey-yellow colours are more Protoss. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know why they swapped them over for that. It's, 
it's a bit of an oversight, or maybe they just didn't care enough to fix it. Whenever it's normally important, it highlights which tank you can look at. It'll like come up with a little line that says Zerg tank. It's like, nah, I'll have a look at you. Oh, it's just a bit of text, not a cutscene. But yeah, the, the upgrades again are just a, a genius little touch because like well, when you realise that you can build say two SCVs at once, I think that's just an example. But like yeah. you know, you, that, you're just like, oh my god, I can actually do like I can build a medic, which normally requires an, an add-on building and gas and stuff. Like now I can just build a medic, and it's just it's just genius. And even though you don't get the medic icon unit in the multiplayer, seeing like actual individual unique. Um, units in the single player it's just another mm. there's a lot of like old units come back from Starcraft yeah. like the medic was around from Brood War and so was the Wraith but they've got no place in multiplayer yeah they'd they'd unbalance the game no it's not the unbalanced it's just every everyone's role got taken like they're medivacs like once medivac came into the single player I stopped building medics entirely because yeah, medivacs but... are dropships that can pick up marines and carry them and heal them so well true enough yeah but uh, the fact that they've got six actual individual units for the single player that don't feature in the multiplayer is again Blizzard's testament to their just their love for the game it's like okay we've got these units and we're not going to put them in multiplayer but they're not scared to take them away entirely that they let you use them and feel overpowered in the single player yeah well single player we don't care if you're overpowered let's do it yeah yeah yeah, exactly it's It's weird it was weird going back after playing multiplayer because some of the abilities that units have aren't in the multiplayer anymore but they are in the single player hmm like, the Ultralisk had a head bash thing that would take down buildings faster that they removed from multiplayer. But it's still in the single player, and I forgot about it, and I was watching it do this animation going, what the heck's it... Oh, oh yeah! It's got... It used to have that. And you, you don't really see that in many games now where you know, there's there's distinct differences, you know, whole units and the whole animations. Mm-hmm. Like, if something was going to get patched out in, say, a Red Alert game, I'm just, you know... Just it making would a... go from everything. Yeah, it would just, they'd just take it out completely or change it for everything, and... It's Blizzard's dedication to the whole, the whole package. Yeah, it exactly. It just, that's why I like Blizzard games because their mm. their attention for everything is is just paramount. It, it's why I really wanted to dedicate a big portion of this podcast to the single player because I do feel like there's this perception that StarCraft's all about the multiplayer, but the campaign is just as good and well put together. Um, we've kind of drifted off what I, we were talking, but it's fine because this, all this stuff is interesting. Um, I, I just want to bring up a couple of my own personal favourite missions. Mm. I really, really like the mission with the day-night cycle um, where you have the infested Zerg. Uh, you're on a planet where the sun has uh, a particularly high UV output and for some reason these infested Zerg units are really susceptible to it and they get damaged. So dur- during the day, um, like you can roam about as much as you want, uh, going about destroying bases and so forth without too much problem. But during the night, you have to hunker down in your base, uh, build up all these fortifications and try and stay alive until the sun comes up in the morning. And I thought that was a really mm. great dynamic of just like, okay, now you're all powerful and now you're completely weak and helpless. There was one of my favourite touches in that mission. They give you the sensor tower that's already built, which doesn't turn up in many missions, but yeah. it just it's, a, it's in everything. 
in multiplayer single player, but it lets you see kind of a ring around you and where things are. And you just kind of look at it at night and you just see these red dots appearing. And you're like, oh. Have you tried going out at night time during that mission? There's an achievement for destroying so many buildings at night. There is indeed, yeah. And the amount of things that pop out of the buildings is ridiculous. You're like, Mm. they do a really good job of making you feel outnumbered by the infested Terran. You're like, oh my god, like, you know, this is bad news. If Terran was completely wiped out by the Zerg, like, you know, just shit could go down real bad, and you, yeah. you, you feel it in that mission, definitely. Uh, there was another one where you had to mine on a volcanic planet, <laughs> and the whole objective was to try and reach a certain resource cap. But spending those, because you're spent, the resources you collect yeah. uh, contribute to that total, but you have to spend some of it to build units, to build structures. So it's a really cool trying to balance that. It's like, what? And thinking, what do I really need here? Do I really need to build a bunker? Mm. Or can I just build some space marines and stuff like that? I thought that was a great mission. The great thing about Blizzard's level design is that they never beat you over the head of it. You'll see it once or twice, and it may disappear, and you're like, oh, I really like that, and then it'll just go. Mm. It's kind of, It reminds me a lot like our Super Mario Galaxy's sort of mission design. It's like, here's a really cool thing. You'll see it at the start, and you might see it at the end if, you know, if, yeah. if, if, if you're lucky. And it's the same with StarCraft. Like, you know, you see the, the balance in Mineral Act where you have to get, say, 8,000 minerals, and you spend mm. 50 on a marine. It, it takes it away from the total. You see that again later on, you know, in a mission where... You have to. It's the there's the lava one, and then the one where you have to pay for one a mercenary to help you out fight this That's other right. guy. Yeah, and again, like you, I don't think you see it again after that, and you just no, like you have a so. really fond memory of those missions because you're not like going through ten of them. Like, oh, here comes another one where uh, mm. the missions get taken away. It's it's all like the game doesn't feel short, but it feels like they they sort of trimmed the fat. You know, they were like, well, maybe there's one too many of these missions. Like this, maybe take it out. It's not necessary. It's yeah. It's, yeah, it's such a well Good job proposed. balancing every mechanic they've introduced. Mm. And I think every single mission tries to make it feel more than go into my the go yeah. into the enemy's base and destroy them. Mm. There's always an objective to it other than that. Like they'll have a train mm. robbery or and something like that. Sometimes you'll, you'll try and go in there and break the mission and then realize, wait, there's far too much stuff here. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I could they, never produce enough stuff to beat this in. And I can't tell you how many RTSs I've played where the campaign is literally just like the multiplayer. Go, against yeah, the AI. just it's just the multiplayer versus the AI exactly, where you just build up a huge army, click on the base, mm. and then destroy it, and that's it. And that's why I really love this campaign because <laughs> they actually fought they about put some it. effort in. They um, constructed missions designed mm-hmm. around these mechanics rather than just put the multiplayer in single player. And I'll be honest, um, actually having the missions where you do roll up into a base and smash it to pieces, really satisfying. But yeah, like yeah. I say, if that if that was every single mission, like the old RTS games, I think Age of Empires 2 is like that, like where you just literally just build loads and loads of stuff and just smash the base up. Like Maybe back then when we didn't know any better, but now if like if an RTS came out and it was literally just build, you know, hit the food cap, which is your you know, yeah. your unit allowance and then just trounce the other base. You might as well just put AI bots in a in a skirmish map and do it that way. Which I used yeah. to do. Every mission gives you like most missions give you a new unit, so you're encouraged to try out this unit. Like mm. it may really not be the best way to do well, it might be the best way to do a mission, but there's other ways. Like you can make two hundred marines and just move, but or you could just make some of say the Banshee. They're given to give you that for the mission with the I think it's the fire. 
on the one when the fire's moving across the world. Ah, oh, right. Yeah, you have yeah, to like yeah, outrun yeah. it. You get the banshee, which is very good versus land, and there's very little or little to no air from the Protoss, so you can kind of just make some of the mm. some of them, and it's pretty good. And it all feels like training wheels as well. For yeah. Like, but by the end of the game, you're sort of like, well, maybe I am good enough to play the multiplayer. And, and then you well, play the multiplayer, and you realize, no, no, no. <laughs> you're one to talk, I'm Scott. Terrible. <laughs> But I, uh, I did have the thing with the single player. I went back and went, right, I'll just blast through this on normal. Right, why is everything moving so slowly? Because yeah. they use different game speeds to help with the difficulty. They've, they've patched that now, haven't they? The latest patch, I think, has fastest in single player. When I found that out, I, it was a I, I only th- I thought hard mode was the only way to get fastest. I haven't played brutal. I couldn't be bothered with the faff. But I just couldn't play normal because everything was far too slow. No, it's, it's definitely in the normal single player now with this no, recent right. update they've done because be... they, they recently overhauled the whole UI, didn't they? So yeah. The uh, loads of yeah. tweaks and changes have gone into the game and playing the... Because on multiplayer I don't want to go just there too yet but it, it speeds up the game. Yeah. It's on a faster mode. Yeah. And when you go back to the single player and it's normal you're like, oh my god, this oh, is so the... slow because... Yeah. Your, you know, your muscle memory kicks in and stuff like that. Um, you're microing marines to a different beat than the ones that are actually you're meant to be hitting. I've just got one other favourite mission, that, or a couple of favourite, they're like tandems, just before we move on. There's a couple of where tight, there's a, it's this big giant uh, Odin robot that Tychus is driving. The first one where you have to steal it, he steals it and he's like, he hasn't turned on his mic, or the mic, so he can't hear you speaking to him so he's just kind of this neutral unit but he comes occasionally he'll just like Ooh, what does this button do and it's like nuclear launch detected <laughs> and it's like damn it and he'll just occasionally go i'm gonna take a break and you just hear him burst open a beer can and start drinking <laughs> it's like and then um the next mission after that is you kind of do a surprise attack and you have to upload the broadcast to uh, f- i would say frame but it's not framing to put the truth out about Manx. And if you just click on him a few times, uh, it'll just go, what's it, with a big robot, it'll just go, it followed me home. Can I keep it? <laughs> it's just, think, those are two of my favourite missions, just because Tychus kind of comes out as a funny, lovable rogue character more. T- Tychus is, a, the thing about Tychus is, when you first meet him, you kind of write him off as uh, like a tough, like Gears of War type macho character. But he's better written than those characters. Um, having the southern drawl helps. Yeah. You know, he just sounds really cool. But he's really funny all the way through. And in those missions, as you say, the whole drunk driver thing where he's in the in the Odin. Is it the Odin? Yeah, it's yeah. the Odin he's in. He's just kind of, yeah. hey, what does this button with a big red X on it mean? <laughs> And the, com- <laughs> and the conversation he has with you back on the ship where he's saying... Jimmy, it's the greatest thing that man has ever created. <laughs> it's just so funny. Um, Darren, have you got any more missions you want to discuss? So are you done? There's a, a Protoss mission. I, I don't really remember it too much because I, I didn't play it in this replay for this podcast. But there's one where you... Um, it's mainly to do with the achievement of the Tide Suite. You had to like basically escape out of this crumbling cavern, I do believe. And you had to yeah. just... Uh, utilize the Protoss's abilities to their fullest. I think it was so the, Stalker the first Zeratul one. I believe so. Yeah, and you have to yeah. get to the end to escape. And I just remember that mission. It it was really well done. But I think you end up you, you fight the Zerg through most of it, mm. and, and then at the end it's kind of a rush because Kerrigan's yeah. chasing you. That's right. Yeah, and it's really well done because the pacing's just it's it well it's great. Like it it's ramps quite, it up, and you know yeah. you have to get. And it teaches, you the, it teaches you how to play the Protoss, which I tried to then yeah. translate into my player, which didn't work. But The one thing about them is some of the hotkeys aren't there and some of the abilities aren't in it. So I was 
like trying to play it in them like some of the later missions where you've got like a nexus to macro like you build units and i'm sitting there trying to hit the hotkey to chrono boost and chrono boost isn't in the single player version i'm like it's not there <laughs> every time it's good but it's just slightly unnerving if you're used to it being there every mission i don't think there's a mission where i i load it up and go oh not this mission yeah because every, every mission's mission... fun in its own yeah way. And it's, yeah. it's quite hard to actually pull a favourite out, apart from the one I mentioned earlier, which is mm. that, you know, the, the, a giant drill is definitely to my taste. <laughs> it's hard to remember this now, but back when this game originally came out, there was a, actually a lot of controversy about uh, dividing the Terran, the Zerg, and the uh, Protoss campaign into separate uh, games. Um, but. It's always controversy about something. Yeah, well, yeah. But, like, having played this, this feels like a proper game. It, it doesn't feel like a third of a whole. No. This is a proper, like, I, I think it was 15-hour campaign. Yeah, it, it absolutely justifies splitting up the campaign. And also, I think it's kind of great having these three separate games because each game is going to have a completely different feel and tone mm-hmm. simply by forcing you to play as one particular race. Like, the Terran is going to have, like, this space cowboy tone to it, and the, the, those units have a distinct way of playing. The Zerg, gonna be all I don't know. And... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think Heart of, the, Heart of the Swarm is going to have a much more serious tone yeah. than uh, Wings of There's Liberty. Be, I, I doubt that Kerrigan will be interacting with anyone like Tychus to lighten it up. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I can't imagine a Zerg drinking beer in a giant Zerg. Unless the ending becomes Zerg Tychus, but <laughs> Zerg Tychus, Zerg Tychus drinking beers. You don't see him die. Heart at Heart of the Swarm is going to be the dark middle chapter, yeah, and, then and then Legacy of the Void is going to be incredibly disappointing. Um... <laughs> also, Splinter in Three does give them the chance to make hype again, because like if you like just in some of those communities, it's like. People are lulling and playing other games like LOL and Dota and stuff like that, myself included. But now that Heart of the Swarm comes out, people are starting to play Wings of Liberty again and everyone's getting hyped, ready for the next instalment. Blizzard are great at doing that. It gives them that little bit extra thing that people must have and it brings people closer together around the game. Much like World of Warcraft, they'll change their existing game to feel more like their next one coming up. So when you're playing Mm. Wrath of the Lich King, for example... They'll update it with a big patch. It'll be like, oh, thingy's coming soon. The new, you know, Mr. Pandaria's coming or Cataclysm. And they'll change nearly everything about the, the UI and the HUD and the front end screen. And they've done the same with StarCraft. When you boot it up now, you just see Kerrigan's face. And it's all purple. Yeah. It's all broody. It's all moody. Like, oh my God, Heart of the Swarm's coming. And they've changed all the UI on the front just to sort of resemble what to expect mm-hmm. in the next coming weeks with this new game. And that's probably the best way to advertise your next game is by updating your original game it's, it is genius Cause especially now because people were all playing the heart of the swarm beta but now they're back having to either play wings of liberty which is quite funny seeing some pro people that have never played the wings of liberty campaign try and get through the campaign <laughs> yeah getting through it and then um there's the uh things like that people are just kind of doing different things that they wouldn't normally do waiting for the next installment but they're playing starcraft again if they'd moved to another game. Okay, that's enough of the single player. Let's move on to the multiplayer. Now, us three and Chris Eason from the Game Burst podcast played a bit of this uh, a week ago, and uh, me, Darren, and Chris got our asses handed to us by Scott. Hold on, don't rope me into your little circle of defeat because I won the first game. You won the first game because oh, I wasn't playing my race. <laughs> 
There's always an excuse. That was our free thing. But yeah. <laughs> the campaign, ladies and gentlemen, is relatively accessible. Mm. I think anyone, anyone could pick can up do it. on Especially play. it's got yeah. four or five difficulty settings. Which... But the multiplayer is an entirely different beast. Um, you, If you want to compete in the multiplayer, you really have to know the complexities of the game. Um, if you're someone like me, who plays an RTS only using the mouse and just clicking on the icons in the you know the bottom right corner and the only hotkey you know is pressing a and left clicking to attack you will get your ass handed to you um i i got defeated in the first 5 minutes of the first game i hadn't even built any units to defend my base and i was already being swarmed by scots Zerglings, I hate you, Scott. I'm sorry, um, I didn't kill you, I ran away. You basically disabled my ability to progress and then I died shortly after. Anyway, I ended up, because we were uh, live streaming the match, I ended up watching the live stream and because it was from Scott's perspective, I got a glimpse at all the stuff he was doing and there was all this insane stuff that i never do you were pressing all these hotkeys um you know chaining up all these commands can you please explain all that stuff to somebody who has no idea what you're doing but uh, it just it's a thing that time has to be invested for you to get used to it, i think is definitely the yeah. main thing if you don't invest that time you're going to not managed to get everything. I, I I started off playing just like with the mouse and I went, I'll build one of every building and make one of every unit because that's how I used to play RTS games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, if that, and then I will send that army of one of everything because how do you counter one of everything? You have to build apparently just more one of one thing, Marines. But And send that off to the enemy base and that will die and then I will do the same again and send it off and that will die because that's how I always used to play RTSs. But then it kind of I got into StarCraft. I started watching things like the Day 9 Daily and Husky StarCraft, which got me into the eSport competitive side of it. But Day 9, with his um, How to Be a Better Gamer, I learned, well, if I bind my base to 5, I can hit 5Q and make a probe while still controlling an army that I've got bound to 1. Yeah, um, my story's kind of similar to yours. I hadn't played an RTS for years. Uh, coming into StarCraft 2... Uh, quite, you know, reasonably fresh to the to the genre again, like, you know, refreshing. And my mate Kip, we all, you know, we've all heard of him, maybe. Um, he was like, right, we're going to play some multiplayer. I was like, oh, you are joking. Like, I, I played some games one-on-one against randoms, absolutely terrified. Like, the fact that you, you can lose points by losing a game is probably the most scariest thing. But uh, one of the most genius, you know, ideas ever. That was something in just general StarCraft community that I'd never heard of anything, but it was called it was ladder anxiety of people scared to lose points, which oh, I mate. personally didn't understand. But the fix now they've introduced non-ranked matchmaking, so you don't have to lose points or gain points if you play. But as, as scared as I am in a one-on-one match, I like that tension because mm. it makes you feel you're, you're literally fighting for your life when you're playing a game against this yeah. random player. But my mate Kip, he um he said, right, we're gonna play some two on two. We're gonna you know we're gonna me and you're gonna get on Skype and I've got some stats here. Um, three hundred and eighty four games later, we literally have I have a fifty fifty split, which is what Blizzard always wanted with the game. They wanted a fifty fifty split, uh, one hundred ninety two for one hundred ninety two. Um, that's a yeah fifty fifty split win loss ratio, and then that 
he taught me so much. Like he goes right, so he taught me the build order, which is you know, what you when do you when. Yeah, yeah, so it's like uh, uh, when you've got nine of twelve units, press this key and you'll build a thing, and that thing will, will time in a certain way, so you can build the next thing. And the more you keep doing this, you realise that it's it's done perf- perfectly. Like, oh, if I press S now for an SCV, which is the the guy who gathers the minerals, by the time that he's done. I'll have exactly 100 minerals to build a supply depot which expands my unit base. And then once once that's done, you've then got enough minerals to buy the barracks which allows you to build marines. And it all feeds into the next thing. And obviously with my brain, it goes out the window after, say, you know, 20 minutes. It's like, gone. And you're like, oh no, what do I do next? But by that time, you should be coordinating with your friend at the time for me, you know. Um, oh, I've seen someone in the top corner of the map. I think it's a flying unit. So then we start building flying you know anti-air uh, stuff and I'm, you know after 384 games you should sort of understand the game by then and it boosted my confidence for the 1v1 and for the 1v1 i've got 106 wins and 103 losses which again is a sort of 50 50 split but the problem is with starcraft multiplayer is that you take the losses so much harder than you take oh, yeah. the, the wins you're like i've lost my life is ruined i might as well just mm-hmm. jump out my window but when Sweating you winning and cursing ensues. Oh, it is ridiculous because yeah. you you go like five on a bounce losing. You just you just have to just turn it off. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a multiplayer guy really. I don't really play multiplayer games. I'm not really. I think they're just more of an extension of like. For example, I was playing Tomb Raider multiplayer today, and it just felt like the same, but with more people running around. But with StarCraft Two, it feels like an actual different entity within its own right. It just feels like a thing that I wanted to put time into, and I. I ended up playing 766 games of this, and I, it, when I first bought StarCraft 2, I never thought I was going to play one. And the fact that I played <laughs> two, well, it's a, it's a blip on your radar, Scott, but I played over 200 hours of I don't have my stats, I don't know how many <laughs> I played, but I'm going to guess in the several thousands. I was like, oh, I'm done with the multiplayer for now. I, I just can't hack it anymore. 2v2 sort of fell off the radar when we hit the gold leagues, which is sort of, you know, middling, it's alright. Um... And we're like, okay, I'm done. But now Heart of the Swarm's coming next week. I'm thinking, yeah. here we go. Let's, let's do this again. Come on. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what new units are being put in for the multiplayer and stuff like that. Um, speaking as a lower level player, um, I can... I really do enjoy the multiplayer as well, even though I get my ass handed to me consistently whenever I play it. And that's because unlike something like Call of Duty or something like that, I can see exactly where I'm going wrong and I can see exactly why the other person is winning. And the more and more I play the multiplayer, I do feel like I'm getting better and I am actually getting better at countering the things that would have completely destroyed me before. So for me... The reason why the multiplayer is so great is it's so good at teaching you how to play in the same way that a Dark Souls type experience, despite being extremely hard, does teach you how to play that game really well. And they put lots of th- or they're getting better at it and better at it because Heart of the Swarm has like watch replays with friends, but they have the replay system in, so you can watch your old your games to see right. That's what I did then. That's what he was doing. So I, if I'd done that, I would have won this. Or you could download a pro's replay and go right. So he's doing this when he's doing that, so I can kind of adapt this. Or you can watch whoever like Husky Starcraft again name drop that name because he he was a good introduction to me because he did entertaining but slightly educational casts of it and I was like well I'm learning how to play this game 
through watching other people play it. And... The the thing I'm really impressed with is how different each of the races actually feel. Like there are some common grounds. Like obviously, you know, they have to. Everyone has to gather resources and stuff like that. And there are units in each faction that are kind of like the equivalent of each yeah. other. But they do. All of them, all three of them, have a very different style. Like the Terran are very defensive. Lots of their structures are designed around defending the fort. Whereas it's kind of Zerg, because they're maybe the best at being attacking as well. Just yeah. early game attacking Terrans, possibly the best at. Yeah, and Pro- and Protoss, Protoss being are... as a Protoss player, like Protoss are really weak early game. Well, they're aren't weaker, they? but if it's. It's a weird thing where Protoss, you can hold anything as long as you can force field. And if yeah. as long as they're on target, you can pretty much defend anything until a certain yeah. point. But getting force fields on point while trying to do everything else can be challenging. Well, the Protoss are really slow as well. Yeah. They're slower than the other three. And that's the advantage the Zerg have. The Zerg are really quick. Mm. Like, uh, everyone's heard of the meme, the, the, the Zerg, Zerg rush. rush. And there's a reason why that exists, because no other faction can build attacking forces as quick as the Zerg. And you can just literally send a bunch of Zerglings straight into the guy's base and take out all their SCVs and, and their base structures really mm. quickly. That was something interesting. Being there from the beginning as well, you saw everything from the start of StarCraft, when everyone was kind of learning the game, was really, really one base. Like, they made one hatchery or nexus, or the one they started with, and just kind of attacked and attacked and attacked until the other guy died. And then it adapted, so now everyone was building two bases and attacking and attacking and attacking until everyone died. But then people learned how to defend all of that. And then now things are going three, four, five base, and they're trying to out macro each other and then compositions get to really late games so you've got like carriers versus battle cruisers just going at each other and you're like well having watched this game evolve from beginning of just one base to multiple bases to back to one base it just kind of cycles the meta game keeps changing which is just kind of great because it's never the same twice and you feel that when like all the esports that goes on in starcraft 2 when something happens that's amazing, say for example, let's take a Jinro does a thing with a with a Thor, and it, uh, it's amazing. You'll see day, that. Yes. You'll yeah, back in the day, you'll see that happen on the ladder, and you're like, you mm. you've just you've taken that from. Why don't I do that? And yeah, it's such a great feeling when you see another player say, uh, as July Zerg's another sort of you mm. know Korean pro Zerg. When he does something amazing with his Zerglings or Banelins, you'll see that happen on the on the ladder. It very very poorly in comparison to what how well, he done yeah, it. But, but the fact that people are taking things emulate. from these, yeah, you know, even I tried it with some, you know, with Banshees and stuff like that. It's it's so it's so rewarding. And even though you are literally just copying someone else's moves, it's no different to a kid playing in the park, playing as you know, trying to be Rooney. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. and then def- you could adapt those moves to your set playstyle so you have these little tiny changes that if you're good enough it'll be like well I can get that a second later to allow me to get that a second earlier kind mm-hmm. of switch things up well if you're as it's kind of a, or lower level like as you're just kind of go well if I get that now I can do that and then this and then that leads to that and then I win yes uh, seeing as you guys have 
brought it up, uh, we can neatly move on to the subject of the esports scene and yeah. and so forth. Um, I'm gonna kind of take a back seat on this one and let you guys talk, and I'll guide the discussion because I'm not really that involved at the esports scene, and that, not that I have anything against it, just simply that I, I'm not interested. It's a niche yeah. part of a niche hobby. Yeah, yeah, um, but just. You know, from your guys' perspective, I know you two are actually kind of really embedded in this scene. Um, what what what's so compelling about it? I really like the f- fact that I could watch someone better than me and maybe learn from them mm. and try what they were doing, and then mm. it stopped being when I stopped playing the game. I'd still watch like a year or a, roughly a year ago. I stopped playing StarCraft to the extent that I had been playing it, just because I was getting kind of bored. Because two years of something will do that to you. Yeah. But I'd still, I'd still watch. I had passes to the GSLs, which is the Koreans, or up till recently was Koreans, Korea's Premier League for StarCraft Two. Mm. And I would, I'd, I'd keep watching that every now and again. I'd watch the finals, and it would be like, well, this game, I, I may be bored of it, or playing it personally, but watching it, people are still amazing. What? Just, it's human kind of skill. Like I will never reach that level. No. But I can watch someone be that good at something and go, yeah, I wish I was that good at I think um, the esports scene is brought upon by how many hours you put into the multiplayer. Like, you, I think Blizzard actually explicitly advertised these guys on the front page now, where it's like, oh, they Day do, 9 this. Daily is out now. And you're it's like, not oh. so much that. It's now that, well, they did the rejig of the thing. It used to be there was a box that would mm. occasionally say, MLG going on now. Well, now it's like the front page. It's like there is a big thing that says IEM, I think it is, because it's running at the moment. It's like IEM going, click here to watch stream. And you're like, you're d- well done, Blizzard. You're doing it right. Because from that, people can just go watch the stream, yeah. watch the pros play. And so, you know, feeding from what, for me, it was those little boxes in the corner. Feeding from them, them into GSL, which, you know, you great, you know, very generously offered me to share your ticket with you. I was like, oh, I'm going to watch some GSL. And then you start, picking favourites, you know, because I was tearing, I started loving Jinro and um, Marine King and stuff like that. And the, these guys have actually got personality within their playstyle, and you really, really like it. Like, Marine King is obviously how he sounds. Like, he started off as this guy who just built Marines. Was, and just, no one is boxer to start with, because his hero it. was Slayer's boxer, who was a huge deal in Korean esports. And he idolised him, but then got the nickname Foxer, being fake boxer, and then just changed his name to Marine King. And, you know, he's got such a nice little cute little face and he's such a lovable guy to look at. And then you see him play on the battlefield and you're like, this guy is amazing. Like, the, So there's this, there's this unit called the Bane, right? And when it when it's a Zerg unit and when it pops, it can kill a Marine, like a group of Marines in seconds. It's a suicidal splash, AOE splash damage unit. It is insane. But when you see Marine King Prime split his Marines up... Like, every Marine goes a different direction. It it's, is ridiculous. It's, it's amazing watching it because it's like you'll see like a group of marines like they'll split in three directions and then those groups will split in four directions and then those groups will split in like another eight directions. You're like, how is a human being doing that? Yeah, and like you start identifying with the the, the playstyle and personality, and then you start rooting for him, much like I would with Watford back in the day. Like you know, you start going, oh, you know, Ashley Young plays for Watford, and I really like him. Now it's sort of like. Oh, you know, um, Liquid Jinro's playing, and like, yeah, come on, Jinro, you can do it. And it, I think, esports Starcraft took over my love for actual real sports. You know, real real sports in quotes, because you know, well, whatever that that that's for another discussion. But I started like 
really delving into different playstyles and actually enjoying watching Zerg versus Protoss like, without any terror. And you're like, oh my god, July yeah. Zerg's playing MC. Like, this is going to be an amazing match. I think RTS games and fighting games are kind of the only genres in video games where you can do something like um, this. There's some shooters that have, like, Counter Strike was always big. But I, I mean, in terms in of. In terms of the spectating, the, the yeah. RTS and your MOBAs are always the easiest to watch. Yeah, and that's why games, I brought obviously. up fighting games as well. <laughs> because you can see the strategy, you can see people pulling off moves and so forth and so on in a way that you simply can't in a shooting game uh, or a first-person shooter or a third-person shooter. There is a sense that you are actually spectating and watching mm. the sport in the same way you would be with football or yeah. tennis or something like that. And now they've got professional... like. The GSL have always had them, but more tournaments have get are getting well. The one guy I can name is Adebisi, who is no known as like he's outside of Korea. He's the StarCraft observer pretty much, and he'll be in game while someone else is commentating. He'll be like watching the two the mini map and watching what's going on and like pointing out things that commentators aren't talking about just so everyone knows. And it's gotten a lot more professionalized as it's gone on. You bring up commentators. I think the actual personalities behind the microphones are the reason why I stuck with the uh, the GSL, the, uh, yeah. the, the the MLG. Like, if there wasn't my favorite caster commentating on a match, I probably wouldn't watch it. And mm. it, you know, in extreme cases like you know, someone I did wasn't too keen on who was commentating was playing. You know, uh, was commentating on a Marine King game. I'd watch it just because it's Marine King. Yeah. But when you had Artosis and Tasteless commentating on the final. It was like oh, yeah. it was it a would... special occasion. Yeah. Despite like... it happening every month or two or whatever, it was still a special occasion because it was the GSL final cast oh. by the two most popular casters. And again, I think the pull for me of watching the esports, not only was it to learn how to play StarCraft better, but it was the spectacle of it all. I when Will Kip told me that, that uh, thousands of people will watch this in a stadium I was like, mm. you're you're lying. This is this is rubbish. <laughs> you're you're lying to me just to make me watch it. And you see it, and fireworks are kicking off. These pods mm. are coming down with PCs in from the ceiling. They're lowering them down, and these people are like idolized, like you know, like, yeah, a, like a Wayne Rooney's over here. Yeah, like Slayer's boxer is one of the biggest names ever, and he there's there was a book called uh, History of Starcraft, and I think DJ Wheat was had a part in it where he told the story of meeting Slayer's boxer for the first mm. time and they had to exit in a blacked out van through the back of a restaurant because of all the fangirls outside oh, that is just like, why are the fangirls outside my house because I'm a Kane and Rince podcast what's going on <laughs> like Korea have got it so right or well, should I say South Korea have got it so mm. right do you know what I mean like the fact that games aren't exiled like, no, you know, they're, they're not so they're much in... over here anymore but no it's still a niche like... but it's is it niche in Korea? Because not so much in Korea. Like a... Korea, they've got like under 18s can't play after nine o'clock by law, because it's that popular and that like everyone yeah, plays games and there's that much free to play stuff out there and everyone plays it. Because got laws like... against under 18s playing for too long and people have to have check-ins and stuff like that because people have died from too many playing too much. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy. I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I got the impression from everything I've heard that StarCraft in South Korea is almost as big as uh, soccer, football StarCraft here. StarCraft 1 was. StarCraft ah, 2, right. not so much. Okay. Uh, League of Legends has kind of taken over in the popularity scale there. StarCraft 2 is still pretty popular, I think. Yeah. But it's just not the same level as Brood War. Brood War, the sellout in aircraft hangar 
just full of people to watch the biggest Brood War game, like the Pro League or something like that. While that's not there was not so much because um, Kespa, which is the Korean esports association, which is kind of the big organization that owned all the big best players, stayed yeah. with Brood War up until November this last year. Oh right. They were playing Brood War up until about then, and then they started moving into SC2 and uh, League of Legends. So it kind of split there, but. Because they were still doing Brood War, the Korean still was, our Korea still had a big thing with Brood War, so that still more people watched it than StarCraft Two. Which another thing that kind of interests me about the esports scene is these like, um, th- there are all these different teams, but they have these like houses where they train players, where they basically get them to play StarCraft all the time. Could you give us some more details? Well, especially that, it's more prominent in Korea. Like, I know um, Evil Geniuses is the biggest Western team, and they have a house in Arizona, I think it is, that they play. Or that a lot of their pro gamers live there, or in their, they've got another house in Korea teamed up with Team Liquid, just another bigger, bigger Western team, where they teamed up because they've gone into Pro League, which is maybe the most prestigious league because it's the Kespa-run league, or all the big Kespa teams, which is Korean esports' own teams, which are the biggest names. But in Korea, they've got, they'll have their, each team, pretty much, you'll have a team house. So uh, LGIM, for example, incredible miracle of a team. They have, I think I've seen a video of it, and it's quite a nice flat. But they've got the flat that's essentially bunk beds, like, say, bedroom with, like, four bunk beds in it or something like that, for the players to stay in, and then, PCs and they'll have a maid that comes round to clean up after them and a cook that'll come round to make sure they're all so, so they're all eating and staying healthy so they can play to their utmost. It's it's like a proper sport. There's nutritionists and occasionally psychologists have been brought in to help players on teams. It's it's crazy mm. and it's weird to me that like um i i brought up this stat i just checked like this uh, official starcraft 2 stats website and currently there are just over 4 million active players that's quite impressive i'm i'm amazed it's that high it, it, that sounds like a lot but when you compare it to call of duty's 40 million I, yeah, active players it pales rts and fps are two very different things and i'm amazed that 4 million after 2 years are still playing although that probably will have increased cuz Heart of the Swarm next week, and loads of people are coming back. My point being is that that something this huge has been organised around a multiplayer game that isn't even like it's popular, but it's not in the upper echelon of popularity amongst the wider audience. But it's sprung up this huge niche thing that is almost as big as you know any sporting event you could name. It's crazy. Um, and I'm kind of, and I know there are competitions for stuff like Call of Duty and stuff. Uh, like ML, that. MLG run tournaments with Call of Duty for the consoles, and yeah. but they've also got StarCraft and uh, League of Legends going on elsewhere or other parts of their venues. But I can't imagine that, like as a spectator sport, that there those games are anywhere near as popular. League of Legends, well, it's got like 30 million active players or something. Like that. That's stupid. Although they don't, they don't give live stats, which. And I'm inclined to hate on that game just because I play Dota and stuff. But that's by God's... No fanboyism on this podcast. <laughs> but uh, they, they've got whatever. And if you look at the Twitch, League of Legends, pretty much all the time will have 70,000 people watching. And might not even be an event on. They'll have sixty to 70,000 people just watching. And then you'll God. see your StarCraft will maybe have about 30,000. 
depending on the time of day and if anything's going on. If anything's going on, it might jump spike to 60,000. They'll have 30,000 people just watching people. Or like 10 to 30 somewhere watching people play, just stream games. Well, I know I'll definitely be back into the uh, the watching of StarCraft 2, Heart of the Swarm, because um, I know it's GSTL, which is the team league. Yeah. They recently did a free stream where you could watch Heart no, of the Swarm all, matches. All, um, I'm going to say all... Uh, GSL, as long as you don't mind watching it in a standard definition, is mm. free on Twitch TV. Yeah, you know, I they don't stream mind. it. Every, it's like eleven o'clock every morning, and they do rebroadcast re- at night. At night, it's it's good that they've they're now got out that you don't have to download their crappy little player to watch it. Yeah, it's all in browser now, and the fact that you know that these actual pro players have got a whole new sort of army to play with. You know, that for each race. I, I, I was watching some the other day and some of the new units for Terran, I was oh, I was so excited to watch how these pros <laughs> are going to utilise them in battle again. Complaints about them. <laughs> nah, it, it looks good and it'd be quite exciting to maybe see new pro players come out of it. Because there might have been people who were on the verge but then HOTS. Enough people have come, like on the verge, maybe have like a couple of hundred viewers on their stream or something which isn't considered massive. In like terms of if you watch your nanny war or something like that, or like he'll stream and maybe get a few thousand, but someone with like just a couple of hundred isn't really considered that big. But then Hots comes out, he turns out to be one of the best. He might get a couple of thousand viewers and then off to the next MLG and win it. Who knows? Yeah, and you know, yeah, the grassroots sort of like like you said, the grassroots career is is another reason why it's so exciting. I think I remember seeing like like you say some people with like a, a mere hundred viewers, for example, when. That's because people sort of knew, like, you know, this guy could be quite special. And then you see him in the finals, and you're like, well, like, you know, this guy really, really not new stuff. I think, who was it? There's Benjamin, a lot of things. Like, in Korea, they don't stream so much. Oh, uh, the Muslim. The Mus- there we go. He's one that yeah. I, he sort of... Sort he's of on each now. Yeah, well, kind of. For me, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. he was sort of, like, on the streams of, like, a you know, a few hundred. You're like, well, who's the Muslim? And then, all of and a sudden, kinda, he's he was He signed to EG and stuff like that. And then, he's apparently, well... According to other members of EG, he's maybe the best player to never have won a major tournament. Mm. Which is kind of sad, but he's making a living playing StarCraft, so I don't envy him. Yeah, it can't be that bad, can it? <laughs> um, you know, and, you know, the, all this sort of really revolves around the most entertaining personality for me is, um, is mm. Day9, Sean Plot. Oh, yes. He might not be the best player. He's obviously been he much He used to be pro in Broodwater, mm, as close yeah. to pro as you could get outside of Korea in Broodwater. You know, uh, yeah, so he's, he's an entertaining personality for sure, oh. and very educational. Yeah, that, that's the great thing about him. He, that was the he, best thing the about him. He, he's basically edutainment personified. Yeah. he's literally to that kind of word. I hate that word, but uh, when you want to, when you want to learn, you want to have a laugh at the same time. And he's yeah. got, he's got such a great like, personality. Fu- you'll have Monday is Fun Day Monday, where he gives a silly constraint for people, and then kind of makes fun of the replays. Not, not in like a malice way, just kind of. Well, it's actually quite amazing. This might work, like. I think one of the recent ones was attack only through Nidus Worms. Well, go. You can only attack through Nidus Worms. And then the situations that come up in those games generally are pretty entertaining. And then he'll come out with anecdotes and stories of, or make stuff up. And it's entertaining, but there's also, well, I didn't know this playstyle was actually viable. And it might be. So if anyone's listening to this thinking, oh, that multiplayer sounds quite interesting, but I'm not going to check it out, check out Day9. TV. It is, it is streams. Um, Day9.tv but... on his stream and all of his thoughts are on YouTube. Mm. If you just, I think it's Day9TV on YouTube. They're, they're cracking. They're probably the first place I would start 
if I was fresh to StarCraft 2, I'll definitely start with him. Um, something else that, Star- well, StarCraft 2 kind of came out around the, the dawn of video streaming on the internet. But um, there's something else popped up around that is uh, BarCraft, mm. which is essentially watching StarCraft like football in a bar. And it's evolved like League of Legends and Dota have pub stomp and stuff like that and whatever other esports might have something. But Barcraft kind of started all off and it's there's bars. I think there's a bar in Sweden just fully dedicated to watching esport games. Which that is so cool. Uh, I know. I tried to organize one in Edinburgh, but no one would help me find a place that would be willing to do it. Yeah, but was there's sad. always a few in London when the big events are going. Yeah, on, there's the Barcraft London guys have got a huge event. Like they'll get. Like, I think there was one of the MLGs that got Skype called in to kind of show the crowd. Yeah, like, yeah They cool. just got a video call. But there's that. There was Team Liquid's the kind of just general community hub. So anything StarCraft, Team Liquid will have it. Is that TeamLiquid.net? TeamLiquid.net, yeah. yeah. And from stemming from that, they've got Liquipedia, which is essentially the wiki of everything StarCraft. Mm. Like if you type a build you want to learn it probably be in there and if you want to learn about a pro player's history in the game it'll be there i spent many hours rifting searching through build orders <laughs> once i <laughs> yeah. once i had a, uh, suffered a crushing defeat i was like right i need to have the best builder that can count on this thing and my brain can't handle more than two builders at one time but i was still looking at them like okay this that writing them down and that's when i realized i was taking it far too seriously yeah, this is all sounding like a fighting game. I know mechanically it's very different, but I've heard fi- you know people who are really into Street Fighter talk in very similar ways that you two are. But yeah, the, you know the, the fighting game and RTS thing are quite comparable, like yeah. in terms of gameplay. But no, but a- in terms of spectacle, I think. Yeah, and you know the, the, you need APM, which is actions per minute for starcraft like you need that mm-hmm. for the multiplayer you need you need a certain amount to you know win and in, in fighting games you need to like you know understand animations and counting frames so it is very similar but on a different on a different scope yeah yeah
Okay, now for some forum correspondence. First of all, uh, Chris Eason, Leg of Time, says, I tried the multiplayer but was awful at it. I play RTS games slowly, which doesn't play well online. The single player I really enjoyed. I'm glad they split up the game into three, one per race, as it seemed to lead to a more in-depth and enjoyable story. I really liked the feel. It reminded me a lot in places of Firefly's style. Jim Rayner has some scenes which are very Space Cowboy-like. Very nice-looking cutscenes. Thought the game revolving around the ship was a good idea, made it feel grounded by something, and it was nice to walk around it, going to each deck to upgrade vehicles and units, etc. General gameplay was well presented and slick, easy to pick up and develop strategies. Map design was overall good, that I can remember, as was the individual missions, especially the one with the day-night cycle. I also love the Protoss short story. I really like their design playstyle, so to have a preview of them in what is a Terran-focused game was nice. Tordino from the forum says, I love StarCraft. I've been playing it since the first and I enjoyed every game. What really grabbed me was the universe and the factions, a big change for me who only played Age of Empires at the time. The characters are also very memorable, with two of my favourites being Emperor Mengsk and Sarah Kerrigan. Every campaign is both creative and challenging in its missions, with a good story to wrap up everything. Starcraft 2 gave me everything I wanted in an RTS game, and a sequel to the original. The upgrading of your troops, the mission choices, and the Hyperion are all great additions to the franchise. I have one problem, it's that the big end of the life plot, I feel it is been done a thousand times before, even by Blizzard themselves in Warcraft 3, and it doesn't add much to the table. I just hope they don't overcomplicate the plot too much and start ruining the characters. I really don't like the whole vengeance theme in Hots. But other than that, I've got no complaints. As for the multiplayer, I couldn't tell you since I'm always destroyed whenever I attempt to play it. From uh, G.S. Mason, I'm also old enough to remember the good old days of the original StarCraft. I was introduced to it by a school friend of mine. He was a big PC gamer and Blizzard fanboy and had already introduced me to rock, rock and roll racing, Diablo, and Warcraft. In those days, a lot of us were playing RTS games like June 2, June 2 C&C, Warcraft 2, Red Alert, and StarCraft was the next big one to come along. I've always been a big sci-fi fan, and I, will, and I always preferred sci-fi to fantasy, so I thought StarCraft sounded right up my alley. I remember getting a copy of StarCraft, in inadvertent commas, but unfortunately my family's PC family's PC at the time wasn't great and and my machine struggled. I was left to play through most of the Terran campaign in short sessions at my friend's house but never got much further despite enjoying the story, setting and gameplay. Cut to 2010 and as an owner of an aging iMac I was, wasn't exactly keeping on top of PC gaming. However I found myself getting caught up in the pre-release hype for StarCraft 2 and subsequently discovered my Mac would run it. Admittedly not very well, before I knew it I dived headfirst into all aspects of the game and found myself completely engrossed. The story had me intrigued from the very start and was very impressed with the cutscenes as well as the structure of the campaign. The Hyperion setup was such a great design choice that it almost seems, almost seems obvious but it seemed very different from a lot of RTSs to me and I felt immediately drawn into the world as well as the different facets of gameplay. I found the campaign to be excellent, with enough variety and brilliant pacing that I never once thought about not seeing it through to the end. Uh, the whole game seemed so coherent and polished, it was clear to see the years of hard work 
uh, the years of work that had gone into it. Or I can't not mention challenges in multiplayer. I love the challenge modes as a nice change of pace from multiplayer, and I also appreciated that these were, in essence, tutorials teaching you key tactics and basic strategy. This can be approved upon HOTS, uh, see HOTS training mode, but it made uh, for a pleasant change for a game to dive deeper into the fundamental controls. Last but not least, the multiplayer. Never has a game inspired so much strong emotions in me in the multiplayer, both positive and negative. At its best, StarCraft 2 feels like the fast-paced, complex game of chess, and a victory in which you have outthought your opponent leaves you feeling like a genius. Downside is that as you're playing on your own, and replays expose your flaws, you can start feeling disheartened if you have had a bad run of form. I spent hours poring over strategy guides, tip videos, as well as watching plenty of esports matches. However, never has a game done so much to ease you into multiplayer and yet been seen as intimidating. Challenge modes, skirmishes versus AI, multiple difficulties and speeds, and um, and ranking of players are also available for progression. This being joined in HOTS by a training mode at three different levels for each race, different AI styles, as well as speeds and difficulties and unranked play more of more on all of that in in the hot thread i spent months living li loving the multiplayer even though i wasn't great and only stopped as i have limited game time and wanted to play other games more i'm hoping to get back into the multiplayer with hots as following up following the build up for the release has got me falling in love all over again donk says I played through the campaign once and really liked it. High production value, cheesy sci-fi, build lots of dudes and attack the enemy base. It also had enough variety in the mission structure and types to keep you entertained throughout. I still haven't felt the need to revisit for the harder difficulty or achievement achievements. The main reason would be the multiplayer. That's where the true magic lies. I say this even though I grew up on shooters spending most of my teens and twenties playing them online and competitively in, in the local scene. Despite my heavy bias towards shooters and that I had never played any multiplayer RTS games, when you have a matchmaking service like Battle.net and hundreds of thousands of players at launch online, you can guarantee finding an even match no matter how bad you are. That's what really makes StarCraft 2. Every game you play online will be a close game. Since the launch in 2010, I'm at just over 500 ladder games and made it to Gold League last season. A goal I thought I'd never reach starting out. Can't wait for Heart of the Swarm. And now our free word reviews. We have James Perkins in with Best Multiplayer Ever. The Visible Man with Construct Additional. Construct More Pylons. Got it wrong, man. <laughs> it's construct additional pylons. Feonaut says Cowboys versus Aliens. Neil Taylor, Cult of Blizzard. Giles says Esports is a misnomer. Wanyal says Still 30 quid. Chris Eason says Need more pylons. GS Mason says Better than life. Kelly Kinter says Ultimate Twitch strategy. Darn Ragnar. In Midge Gasm News. Tom Platt, Unreachable Skill Cap. Mentasm says, Such a Time Sink. And Octodus Rex says, Awesome Campaign Mode. Right, okay, now for our summaries. Uh, first of all, Scott. Uh, well, I've loved this game. I spent well, 
two years, almost three years of my life playing almost nothing else. It made me build a PC, or build a PC capable of running it. Because I started playing it with a PC that would only make up to about 30 units, and then it started to get... A f I could get a frame per second, maybe, if I was lucky. So I built a PC just to play StarCraft, and it maybe what continued to be being in such a hardcore gamer. So buy it, play it, play with me. It's awesome. Yeah, um, in true Blizzard form, they, they've made a game that completely pulls you in and makes you forget about the world around you when you while you're playing it. I had a, a well a two year long experience of that with uh, World of Warcraft, you know, and a, a good hundred hours worth of Diablo. I do believe Diablo three that was you know out, out in 2012, but StarCraft two I was not expecting to like as much as I did. Um, you know, I I bought it uh, yeah on day of release. I remember coming back from Scotland and buying it and just putting it in, and it was just like all right, let's do this and. Like I say, like 250 hours later, I'm, I'm I'm out the other side, just a completely different man. <laughs> like I've I've seen stuff, man. I've seen stuff on the battle that you wouldn't believe. You don't and... know, man. You weren't there. <laughs> and you know, I think having played StarCraft Two: Wings of Liberty, I've now got a complete conception of what I want from an RCS game now, and it is the traditional style: build a 200 army and you know watch it destroy stuff. I, like I said earlier on in the podcast, there was a lot of games that sort of went away from this because I think the market thought that, you know, Dawn of War, Hero Units, Company of Heroes was the oh, way forward. There is still a degree of that in your mobiles, oh, yeah. but it's yeah, not I'm... straight like RTS anymore. No, I'm not, I'm not saying those games yeah. aren't viable anymore, but it's just good to know that th this kind of game it still yeah, can... it still exists know, and can still, still sell. Indeed, and oh, I'm looking forward to the Heart of the Swarm. You know, just as much as Bioshock Infinite, and if you'd have told me back in the day, like, oh, you'll you'll be really excited for the new StarCraft Two stuff, you'll I'll be like, ah, oh, come off it. But having played Wings of Liberty many times, spent many hours chasing achievements, which you know, I sort of kicked that habit on Xbox, but with um, Xbox Live, sorry, but with StarCraft Two, I wanted to do the challenges for the achievements. I wanted to see what kind of tests Blizzard had for me, and you know, um, I you know, I wanted to unlock those pointless avatars and decals which I didn't really do very well but <laughs> I gave it a good old try yeah. you know I never thought I'd do that with an RTS game and for that Blizzard uh, I doff my cap to you sir yeah um there are several games for me that I consider to be the pinnacle of its particular genre so for me Half-Life 2 is the pinnacle of the first person shooter genre Super Meat Boy is the pinnacle of the 2D platformer and this, StarCraft 2, is the pinnacle of the RTS genre for me. I, I don't think anything comes close uh, in this genre, uh, just in terms of the multiplayer and the single-player campaign. Ultimately, I'm not really that interested in the multiplayer. I respect it. I, I think it takes a lot of skill to play that game. Um, and I'm not particularly interested in the esports scene, not because, I, again, not because I don't think it's um, utterly fascinating. It's just that I don't. I want to play games. I don't want to watch other people play games. Um, but the single player campaign is so well put together. 
Um, it's really satisfying. The characters are better than you'd expect. Jim Ray, I ended up getting really attached to Jim Rayner. I, I think Kerrigan is a fantastic antagonist. We unfortunately didn't get to talk about her much during this podcast, but honestly, this isn't her game anyway. Yeah, and I was just impressed by, as Darren said in the podcast, the missions are different every time, much like a Mario game where they experiment with an idea and then move on and try something else. It wasn't just the same old destroy enemy camp and to progress it was much more cleverly put together than that if you have a pc that can run it buy starcraft 2 it is absolutely one of the best games you can own on the pc it looks fantastic it plays fantastically it has a really great soundtrack it's the whole package everything and now for the roundup you can play along with Kane and Rince Volume 2. Shows that are coming up. I Am Alive, Bioshock 2, the Animal Crossing series, Grand Theft Auto 4 and its episodes, Dark Souls, which is going to be hosted by James Carter, Metro 2033, and XCOM Enemy Unknown. That schedule, the upcoming schedule, can be found at the blog over at canaanrince.com. Take a look at our quick rinse videos via the blog or on the Canaan Rinse YouTube channel. You'll never guess where the Twitter account is. It's at Canaan Rinse. And if you don't like Twitter, you can go to facebook.com slash We are grateful for your support through iTunes subscriptions, reviews and ratings. Check out the Canaan Rinse periodical. Jay Taylor puts a lot of work into that, so please check it out and of course we have a lovely friendly community over at the forums uh just go to canaanrince.com slash forum uh that's it from us uh thank you darren thank you scott for joining me thank you for listening everyone and i'm sure the editor is going to insert some awesome starcraft music here goodbye <laughs>